Yes, we are waving our hands in the air this afternoon. The song with Brill. What is the song? Out in the battle, flung far and used. Where does allegiance lie? Sometimes when all your hopes and all your dreams are too much to value. Well, we have a person on the line now. Nick, kia ora. Welcome to the panel. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you this afternoon? Oh, great. First time texter, long time listener. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we get into the song, though, you're at a hotel... <laughs> yeah, I've got a yeah. four children, so I always do the dishes. Otherwise, it's uh, way too much. For shame, Wallace. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, we clean up. Okay, sorry about that. Um, all right, right. <laughs> Nick. What? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, what is the song? We all know it now, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Straight away, the lyrics just kick into gear, and you know it's loyal, and I text it away. Yeah, um, I didn't know that. I mean, it's quite obtuse lyrics for me. Out in the battle, fla- flung far and used, where does allegiance lie? But it's a reminder, Nick, what a song, what an anthem in a way, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Tar Dave Dobbin is um, yeah. a legend, and we've all seen him live at some point, I'm sure. I yeah. have. Like, yeah. 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 Lovely, Nick. Right. Thanks, thanks for listening. Yeah, sure, of course. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. Well, Dobbin wrote the song Sydney with the opening harmonic progression coming about from playing with a newly bought guitar. And it was used in 2002 as the official song for the 2003 America's Cup. But it almost has a life of its own, doesn't it, Ali? You know, it's, 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 it's almost a song um, for all of us. Australia has beds are burning. We've got this. Oh, I don't think that. Oh, no, I don't think they're the same. Because sometimes when oh. I hear um, slice, no, when I hear slice of heaven, that that um, creates a feeling in me perhaps more st- strongly than the than loyal. So, but I know what you mean. But I don't yep. know if the beds of burning's the right song for it. No, you've made a horrible couple of calls there, Wallace, in one sentence, which is good even for you. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Firstly, David. Australia's well, one is Kaysan. Everybody knows that. Cold chisel. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Fair, yeah. One, your one fair point this afternoon. Yeah. And secondly, yeah. New Zealand's equivalent is "Why Does Love Do This to Me." You need to be able to belt out the chorus drunk, or it doesn't count. And "Loyal" is not even Dave Dobbin's best song. Like Ali said, "Slice of Heaven" is infinitely better. Yeah. The okay. America's Cup ruined "Loyal," and it's just the most soporific dirge. Okay, thank Tell you. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah, fired up about everything now. Um, <laughs> And they're fired up about me. Don't like me this afternoon. Hashtag not a fan. Um, Wallace, always do the dishes. Not surprised you don't, though. You don't even want your friends shower. (laughs) Wallace, you come across as lazy and entitled. Do your dishes at the B&B, and when at your friend's house, clean the shower. Um, Let's not forget, everyone, that Ali also takes the same position. So, you know, it's Uh, both of them. Yeah, uh, yeah but full- also I was a host. I came at it from a host <laughs> perspective as well, so I was bringing a different sort of perspective. As a former housemaid, leave your dishes. We only go Yay. and do them all again to ensure they're clean. Yeah. That's interesting. Kia for that. So Good. they'll go Good. back and redo them again. David is on the money with everything he says. Is this person's, is this person's point of view? I'm shouting, yes, David, every couple of minutes at the radio, says Lorraine, uh, a friend in Wellington. Um, Kia Wallace, I agree with you. You're paying good money to stay at a combination, but yes, I do the dishes, tidy the beds, and put towels in the shower or the bath. So um, very big response on that this afternoon. Kia thank you for all your feedback today. You're on the panel with me, Wallace Chapman. Today we are with Ellie Jones and David Cormack, Value Company today. 
Very different subject, this one, and Ali Jones referred to it in her I've Been Thinking. The government is defending its spending on health as it faces mounting pressure over hospital wait times. Last week a person died after they left Christchurch Hospital's emergency department during what Te Whata described as a very busy period. A four-year-old boy also died in Wellington Hospital Emergency Department last month after being misdiagnosed and sent home. A Te Whata Order spokesperson said the agency continued to experience pressure on services due to factors such as winter ailments, increased demand for services and staff illness. This case is still being investigated. To tell us how bad it has become and what he's seeing is President of the New Zealand Resident Doctors Association, Dr James Anderson. Dr Anderson, kia ora. Kia ora. Um, just have to acknowledge um, the absolute, uh, well, actually, horror of the example we referred to earlier. Um, but we have long heard that EDs are under immense pressure. Just, just describe it for us. How severe has it become? I think it's become severe across the country. Um, we've got statistics telling us that 90% of patients aren't seen within the six-hour target that we're aiming for. And it's it's not been a, a surprise. This has been a predictable outcome, I think, that's been developing over a number of years. This is a result of a, a chronic under-resourcing of our ADs. We've conducted a number of reviews around the country over the past year. In fact, we've gone up to 10 of the of the EDs across the country and in every single one well certainly a recurring theme there's been insufficient numbers of doctors and um, we've got agreement in some of them to increase the staffing levels but this takes time um, and I guess the question I've, I've got is, is why does it take the union involvement why does it take the RDA to enact this change we've had a consistently increasing patient load without matching staffing levels for, for quite a long time now and this kind of makes I think these dangerous levels of, of not meeting these um, these waiting times are predictable outcome. I was just thinking too, I mean, looking at the data, data that's been released by National show that just 76% of patients are being seen within six hours. Uh, and also as a person, like many listening this afternoon, and please do get in touch if this has been one of you as well, but waiting uh, at an ED for so long is unnerving anxiety-inducing, and actually, if you have a, a small child, actually quite frightening. But also, James, it must take quite a toll on staff as well behind the scenes. I think it's definitely that combination. Um, every doctor is working because they want to look after their patients. They're there to give care, and that's what they, that's what they want to do. Um, having this inability to see your patients, either because there are there are too many and the list is too long, or there's not the facilities available to see them, um, I think is really contributing to the high rate of burnout we're seeing in not just the medical staff, but also in our nursing staff as well. Um, and I don't think we can afford to lose these staff at the moment. We're seeing high rates of attrition of doctors and nurses throughout New Zealand. Either they're quitting the profession entirely or they're heading abroad and being attracted by you know better working conditions or better pay. Um, once these doctors are gone, they don't come back. Once they're gone, Ellie Jones, they don't come back. You brought this up on your eye, I've been thinking, uh, let's bring you in. 
Yeah, thank you. James, what I'm interested in particularly is, do you feel that the pressures that we're seeing uh, at secondary and tertiary care, the EDs, is a direct or is directly linked to failures in the primary health care sector? For example, either people can't get into their GP and get something sorted sooner, they can't afford to get into their GP, their health deteriorates and then they go into an ED. Do you think there's something in that? I think it's definitely a contributing factor. Um, We know there's not enough doctors in the emergency departments. We know that the patient load is increasing year on year, and we know their facilities in the emergency departments aren't matching that need. But at the same time, I think we've seen chronic under-resourcing of our primary care services as well. Just like you said, there's not enough primary care doctors. They work hard. They work Mm -hmm. incredibly hard, but there's just not enough of them to see the numbers of patients needing seen. Yeah, okay, Alex. so what do we do then? You said it's going to, and we know this, it takes about 10 years to, to get a GP out of um, school, if you like, and, and into into working. So what do we do to be able to deal with this right now? My suggestion at the beginning of the program was we look at where we want to end up, we look at the system we want to have, and we work backwards to see how we can make that happen. Now, I don't know whether you would agree with that, but what do we do to address this? I, I think just like you're saying, it's, it's that standard practice of recruitment and retention, like any workplace. Um, But I think the needs of the medical workforce are slightly different. And I think if we want to retain Kiwi doctors working in New Zealand, we need to keep them here um, with good promises. And the guarantees that we we think from a a union point of view would keep doctors in New Zealand is guaranteeing training. That's helping to have efficient ways for doctors to get trained through their career, but with flexibility so that you can have a life at the same time. Think about guaranteeing consultant positions to training registrars. So if you're in training now and you keep on doing your training, you get a guaranteed consultant post at the end. And that's the kind of middle and the end of the pipeline. But thinking right back to the start, increasing numbers of medical students, we just need more Kiwi doctors coming into Kiwi universities to come out and work here in New Zealand. David. Yeah, it's grim, eh? And look, I, I wish there was a magic wand you could wave and, and, mm. and fix it. I um, recently had cause to take my father up to ED, and it was mm. I just felt so sorry. The staff just weren't stopping. They were just yeah. moving from, from cubicle to cubicle to room to room, and, and these poor people, the patients were distressed and angry, and they were taking it out on the poor staff whose fault mm. it isn't. They're trying mm. their best. And so it is just a horrible, vicious circle. And I wish we had... You know, I wish that politicians were listening to people like you, right? So we've had decades of underfunding from successive governments, right? There's no left or right bias here. They've all woefully underfunded the government. Uh, I can't see how creating targets for wait times is going to help like National thinks it will because it's just going to put pressure on the medical staff to see people faster, which is possibly going to cause them to miss something. Like, it just seems bananas to me that we wanted to put more pressure on the health staff, and it just breaks my heart. And really, we listen to you, listen to the union. Get better training, get better care for the for the people that we actually need as the pandemic has exposed. James? I think that echoes a lot of the same things I was thinking. I think it is it's very true. Um, it's guaranteeing the basic things that doctors and nurses want in their careers. It's having good working conditions, it's having training that's protected and that guaranteed employment right through the end. You know, we're seeing that break in the pipeline toward the end where We lose senior doctors as well. It's not just at the very start. We're losing doctors after year number two at the moment. Uh, They're they're going abroad, but we're losing doctors later down the year to burnout. Um, But guaranteeing them employment as consultants seems like a no-brainer. 
those are the people we need to stay in the country um, and we know that there are gaps to be filled at a consultant level so let's, let's guarantee them employment. I don't, uh, coming back, and I think I just sort of echoing what David said, I don't want to get political here, um, but uh, what would you say when Grant Robertson, uh, Acting Prime Minister, he said uh, today, look, we've significantly lifted the amount of funding we've given to the health system overall, about a 40% increase since we've been in office, and we are competing with hard to get those people to come to New Zealand. Guess what? There is a global shortage in the health workforce. We are under extraordinary competition with other countries, James. Yes, I think that's incredibly true. I think we need to... So you agree with that? I I think that it's true that there is a shortage, but I think it's more that what we should recognise from that is that we are in a global marketplace um, and that doctors and nurses are very mobile around the world. um, And we're sitting here just to our west is Australia and we are losing a lot of our Kiwi doctors to Australia they will go there for the money yeah. as the initial draw and we know that when they go they, like, like it's been said twice now they, they don't come back Good to have you on Dr Anderson there President of the New Zealand Resident uh, Doctors Association but nonetheless this is a very human story Ali it's, it's actually quite a heartbreaking story in my mind uh, like you goes back to that, uh, uh, that that family who who lost that child and yeah, uh, yeah, and wondering, it's just got to get better. Well, it has to, but I mean, you've been doing this for long enough, Wallace, too, and I'm sure David's been around yeah. um, around long enough. But this is not new. So, mm, yeah. who who is going to make the difference? How are they going to make the difference? And when are they going to do it? Because we cannot be having these conversations, these same conversations again in another year, two, three, four years time. Yeah, uh, Ali Jones, David Cormack with me this afternoon, fourteen to five. The panel are in. Z National. Now, a new international report shows that Aotearoa is amongst the lowest for active transport to school. This from the Journal of Physical Activity and Health. Our kids aren't working to, walking to school like you and I did. We'd walk through snow and ice, wouldn't we? Nowadays, chauffeur-driven. The report says that out of 57 countries surveyed, we rank amongst the lowest for active transport. We score a degrade. That's behind Denmark and Japan. They top the list in the category. There are communities that are supporting by doing the walking school buses. In fact, we tried a couple of schools this afternoon, but they had stopped their walking buses uh, since COVID. With us now is Caroline Perry, spokesperson for Break NZ. Kia ora, Caroline. Kia ora, Wally. Does this surprise you at all that we are so poor for not walking to school? It's not surprising. It, it's still disappointing um, from our point of view. But a common barrier that we hear as a, a road safety charity from parents and carers and from schools is that um, they don't feel it's safe enough for children to walk and cycle to school. Uh, we know active travel has a lot of benefits. So there are uh, things that we need to do to make it uh, still make it safer for children and families yeah. to walk and cycle more. I'm just wondering, Caroline, and I know that David and Ali will have views on this. I'm just wondering what changed? What the heck changed? So here's what I did this afternoon. I lived in Myers Road in Manarua, and my primary school was 1.1 kilometres away. And I Google walked it this afternoon. At the age of six and a half, I walked 1.1 k's down to the end of Myers Road, to the left, Scots Road, to Manarawa East. And that's a long way. Why could I do it then and I can't do it now? 
Look, I think there's a number of, uh, of different issues in that. Um, I also walked to school as a, as a child and, um, yeah, it was something that, that we just did as the norm. But there are a lot of different things now. Certainly, um, a lot of the busier and for some people, it might be sort of the busyness and convenience of, of dropping and going and that's the things and, and we need to look at that too. But also, when you look at our traffic as well, traffic is, has increased dramatically oh, yes. in terms of the number of vehicles on the okay. road and how much we travel um, and also that, that perceived safety as well so we there are things that we need to do to make it um, safer for, for children to be able to walk and cycle. Gotcha, alright uh, David you start on this one I mean, I'm not surprised at this result because New Zealand is a very car-centric society. We right. keep making it more and more car-focused. And so, I, you know, th- this one I am going to make political, right? Like the government said they wanted to create safer spaces for um, people to walk to school, and this would involve cars having to slow down. And then National Simeon Brown was like, oh, Nat Labour wants to stop you from driving your kids to school, and whipped up a campaign against that. So there are solutions that people are trying to put in place. Bike lanes, you know, you get local businesses having aware that bike lanes are going to take away business from them which is just untrue. But and so, there are bike lanes now David, there's quite, a, there's quite the inf- infrastructure of bike lanes now, they have been around for a, uh, f- f- some for a few years. Correct, it's better than it was when you were walking to school in 1834 right. Wallace, but it's still not at a very good standard <laughs> and so we always need to keep pushing those improvements and we need to start prioritising pedestrians and cyclists rather than cars and until we get into a mode shift like that, we're, we're not going to see an improvement You'd probably agree with that Caroline, can you just stay there let's bring Ali Jones in yeah well I don't agree with that from a Christchurch perspective because that is the the call that we get down here prioritize pedestrians and cyclists over cars but what we don't do in Christchurch is look at the amazing infrastructure we've already got in place here which is rail so whenever you say public transport in Christchurch it means buses and they are infrequent they don't have wi-fi on them uh people just don't like traveling on buses here they don't take them where they want to so it's you can't be dictating to, to people that they need to change the way that they travel unless you are going to give them real options. So I just wanted to say that to what David said, but the question that I've got for Caroline is, has this got anything to do with people not being, um, or rather being time poor? So that I remember yeah. my mother walking me to school. Now, with two parents working and, the, as you mentioned, the drive and drop-off, has this got something to do with the way families work and how fast we live these days? Look, I think potentially it does, as I said earlier, in terms of you know, people are, are busy and there's the convenience factor as well and how many um, parents have to you know, do the school drop-off and then go straight to work and that's the things and, mm. um, and looking at that. But we also, I agree with what both of, both of you have said in terms of both the active travel side of things and the public transport too, in that both of those things, we need the, the workable alternatives for people as well because it is really important not just from an active travel perspective but also a, a safety perspective um, and we've talked about having lower speed limits having those 30 kilometer an hour limits which are really important around schools to, to keep children safe and having those safe footpaths and places to cross and separated cycleways but also the public transport is an important alternative um, to, to being so car-centric for some families as well. So we need um, investment in both those sides of the active and the, the public transport. Very good to have you on the programme, Caroline. Thank you very much for your time. That's Caroline Perry, spokesperson for Break-Ins. Before we move on to the, uh, the final topic, round the panel here, I told you how I got to school. What about you, David? 
Uh, I used to walk. Um, yeah. I, don't, I was about a, I don't know about a kilometre from school, yeah. but yeah, I used to I used to walk to my school. Ellie, I was I went to school in um, Suva in Fiji, and we had big old diesel buses, so that's where I uh, how I did it there. And then when we came to New Zealand, I would walk, um, and then when I went to girls' high, I'd cycle. So yeah, there we go. We're all walkers, you see. What's happening now? Very interesting stuff, and uh, quite a bit of response on uh, that. Um, walking school buses. Do you have walking school buses? I'd love to hear from uh, you if you are involved in one of those. You can email me at the panel at rnz.co.nz. Big response to the emergency department waiting times. Thank you very much for your um, feedback on that. We might even come back to that tomorrow, actually. But finally, bamboo steaks are selling for nearly five bucks a pop at hardware stores. Someone got in touch with me about this uh, and said, hang on, forget about five bucks. I'm trying to get rid of my bamboo as they are a running invasive species. Don't pay five dollars. Come and get mine, all you can eat. Bamboo is just one of many invasive species and yet it is still being sold. There's a wide-ranging report. It came out in November last year, I think, from the Parliamentary Commissioner for the Environment that our weeds, often from urban gardens, are threatening very seriously, our native ecosystems, and that does include arrow bamboo. With us is Ryan Kneebone from uh, Tree Fellows, the general manager, and they do, guess what, um, bamboo removal. They're specialists in it. Ryan, welcome. Hey, guys, how's it going? Very well. How hard is it to get bamboo out of your garden? Um, it's uh, it's a bit of a process. There's quite a lot of labour involved, Um there's a couple of different ways that it can be done, so it depends which um, what sort of site you um, have your bamboo growing on, I guess. Yeah. Are you surprised that this hardware store is selling bamboo steaks for five bucks a pop? Um, my wife actually bought those steaks from from Bunnings before. I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> I didn't realise they were five dollars a, a, a stick, though. Well, for, yeah, five forty nine. <laughs> not just Bunnings, by the way, but uh, might have ten, I think, as well there. But um, oh, yep. Yeah. Um, does it crowd out other plants? It, it certainly does, yeah. 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 I think the, the most important thing to realise is that there's actually two different types of bamboo. Ah. So the, the bamboo that you're talking about is obviously the one that the, the government and the local councils are trying to get rid of, which is yeah. the invasive um, which is the invasive type, which is what they call, like, it has runners. Yeah. So basically it means that it gets to a certain point and then it starts to spread out. It's kind of like uh, kaikuya grass where it just like it'll just get anywhere it can go to um, where the clumping bamboo, which is um, more um, it it basically will just have like a heart and then it will grow to a certain point and then it will it will just stay at that size oh okay, yeah, and so that is the uh, type of bamboo that you can actually purchase still that's the only bamboo that you're allowed to propagate and sell um there's a couple of places that do sell them because they do actually make really good hedging. Um, oh, I see. But, right. Yeah, but the one that you're obviously talking about is the invasive species, which is the um, the runners. Yeah, and they can really yeah. run amok, Ellie Jones. You're a gardener. I am a gardener. I'm yeah. missing it in the house bus. But, you know, what I want to ask, though, is I think we had the one that it, the suckers doesn't sound familiar to me, but can you cut 
the one the one you buy in the shops dried and very hard when i cut the one in my garden and i try and use it it's a bit kind of soft and bendy can you dry it to make it work like the one in the shop or um have i got completely the wrong bamboo? hang on david just tie her on that ellie goodness <laughs> yeah. gracious me we have an immature panelist with us ryan don't worry about him ellie no, you keep a, going that's a good question and, and you keep be going. honest to be honest, I'm not entirely sure, actually, where um, the likes of the hardware stores are sourcing the bamboo from. Um, I had a quick look before, and it all said that it was from New Zealand. So I'm not mm. sure of the exact process um, of, you know, the, the drying process to make it hard. But I have worked with guys that have collected it, and they have turned it into fencing and um, weaving and all sorts of different stuff with it, because it is obviously quite, um, it's very hardy, and once... Once in that dry state, it will. It, it basically will. It will. Um, the longevity of it is is quite impressive, I believe. Let's yeah. bring David in. So, a couple of things. I had surprisingly more reckons about bamboo than I thought I would. Number one, as a kid, <laughs> we used to, our next door neighbour had a bamboo plant. We used to make bows and arrows out of it, and so that's a good use of them. So, I think five dollars forty nine for a bow and arrow set, perfectly reasonable. Uh, but secondly. John Key promised he was going to bring us pandas. He never did. All I'm saying is if he'd brought pandas in like he promised and then we'd let them run rampant, we would not have a bamboo problem. It's ironic because Parnell is actually um, infested with bamboo through the, uh, through the waterways. Well, how about that, Ryan? <laughs> Thanks, John how Key. How about so, yeah. that? What are you trying to <laughs> say, Ryan? Are, are, you, are you trying to infer that John Key planted that bamboo? <laughs> no, you're not. Anyway, no comment. lovely to have you on. And David uh, Cormac, Ali Jones, has been a riot, quite literally. <laughs> Formal complaint about the uh, white powder on the saucer. Let's not worry about that. <laughs> Um, Thanks, I'm Wallace. Wallace. Yeah, thank you. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow, 3.45. Checkpoint next. <laughs>